Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Changing your life one story at a time. This is the Chicken Soup for the Soul podcast with Editor-in-Chief Amy Newmark. Hey, it's Amy Newmark with your Chicken Soup for the Soul. And today we have a special guest who you all know, Joan London. She has been a trusted voice in American homes for more than 40 years. She's one of the most visible women in America, and she has graced the covers of more than 60 magazines and book covers. For nearly two decades, you saw her each morning on Good Morning America, and that made her the longest-running female host ever on early morning television. And now she's the host of the PBS television series Second Opinion with Joan London, and she is also the author of numerous books, including Why Did I Come Into This Room?, a Candid Conversation About Aging, which I found very enjoyable. Now, in June of 2014, Joan was diagnosed with triple negative breast cancer, which is one of the bad ones, and she has shared that battle in her book, Had I Known. She is also an expert on elder care for family members with and without dementia, and she co-authored Chicken Soup for the Soul, Family Caregivers, which is a book that anyone caring for an aged or chronically ill family member should read. You can learn more about Joan at joanlondon.com. And without further ado, Joan, welcome to the Chicken Soup for the Soul podcast. It's great to be here with you, Amy. Well, it's so great to have you on. And I want to thank you so much for contributing to the 30th anniversary edition of the original Chicken Soup for the Soul book, because your story about elder care and everything you should do is something we all need to read. It's just a fabulous how-to on caring for family members as they age. And I speak from experience because I learned a lot from what you taught me when we worked on the family caregiving book together, and I didn't realize how much I was going to need that information until I had to take care of my parents and then my father alone for six years. So let's start with you caring for your mom, Gladys, and your crash course in family caregiving. Yeah, it's inevitable, of course, that we're all going to have to face this, but it's surprising how few people really prepare for it because nobody wants to think about the demise of their parents or grandparents. I mean, my mom, I was a longtime caregiver for my mom and also my brother. My mom actually lived till 93, almost just shy of 94 years old. My brother, who is just a little bit older than me, he had type 2 diabetes. And I think that happened when he was in his late 20s which is actually early for type 2 diabetes, and it really wreaked havoc on his blood vessels. And he had so many different surgeries and so many different complications from that illness. So I was really a caregiver for both of them. My family grew up out in California, 
I now live on the East Coast. I have for decades. But my dad was a cancer surgeon and my mom was a stay-at-home mom. And let's see, I was almost 14 years old when my dad, who was also an avid private pilot and flew all over the country, speaking at cancer conventions and sometimes assisting other doctors in difficult cases, he was flying home and crashed and was killed. And I watched as my mom dealt with that with two young kids, 13 and 14 years old. And I learned so much from her. And I think she made such an incredible impact on my life and what kind of a, an adult and an adult woman that I became because I watched her figure out how to oh, maintain resilience in the face of this incredible adversity. I think you tend to grow up fast whenever a trauma like that happens to your family. Sure. Yeah. So I kind of became, Amy, the, I don't know, the leader, the caretaker of the family from a young age. I, I would say even really in my 20s. But I learned so many important lessons from that point in my life. And, you know, families everywhere have traumas that hit them. And, you know, as my mom started to grow older, she was really a piece of work. I, I think you might have even met her. Everybody knew her as glitzy gladdy. But as she grew older, she did start to have some dementia. I think it might have even been in the late 70s, but certainly in her 80s. And ironically, it was my brother and all of his health issues that he's the one that ended up dying at only 57 years old. So, you know, I found myself in my 30s and my 40s and my 50s here. I was living on the East Coast, working for Good Morning America, and I was kind of caring for them long distance. I put them in a condo together and had somebody there taking care of them. We didn't really sit down, Amy, and have that family talk that is right. so And I learned from you to do that. And my yep. brother and I sat my parents down in a lawyer's office and arranged everything ahead of time. And it was because of what I learned from you when we made that book together. But when I came back from when my brother died and I was and I became an, a, a full-time caregiver overnight and had to all of a sudden learn about assisted care. And, you know, once you get them in assisted care, then what level are they? I didn't know there were eight levels. And she was so distraught having my brother pass away. There was no way that she could stay by herself in the condo where I'd set them up and they had enjoyed each other's company. She not only lost her son, she lost her, her roommate, really, her, her life pal. They had been living together for 20 years or so. And I remember I went out and looked for the perfect place for my mom to live where she would be happy. And what happened is I ended up putting her into senior living. It was a beautiful place, Amy. And I decorated, you know, I moved her out of her condo. and But she was still in a, like a one-bedroom apartment in this place. And I figured she'd go downstairs and talk with all the other gals and, and take people back up to, and entertain. Well, I hadn't lived with them. So I was kind of picking out a place for maybe my mom 10 years earlier, but not for where my mom was then. And this happens to a lot of people, especially if you live far from them. And, you know, when you go to visit them, they put on a good face. 
you know, everything's fine because they don't want to have to go into assisted living. We're doing fine. And you have to be a little investigator. You have to be snoopy, like walk into the bathroom. Is there a, 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 you know, a throw rug on the floor that they could trip and fall? Take a bunch of night lights in your purse and like go around the house and put them in like down the hall and into the bedroom. Make sure there aren't throw rugs where they could fall. Go into the bathroom. Are they being compliant with taking care of their meds? Go in their refrigerator and go into their cabinets in the kitchen. Are the canned goods expired? What's in the refrigerator? Are they cooking for themselves properly? Because they lose a lot of different sense of taste because sometimes they're taking medications that interferes with their sense of taste. I mean, you really have to kind of snoop around And unfortunately, not all of us, but a lot of people, when they go to visit, you kind of go in with blinders. And you do that because you don't want to really face the reality that pretty soon you're going to be a full-time caregiver. And you put those two things together and it's kind of the, like the perfect storm. And so what happens is all of a sudden one day you get that call. And I got that call. I got that call from... I don't know if it was a police officer or whoever was in the house saying, we're here in the home where your mom and your brother live. Your brother's passed away. Your mom is terribly distraught. And of course, I got on the next flight out and went out there. And there were so many questions that I wished I had asked. When my mom was still really kind of, you know, I don't know, not I don't hate to say it, mentally able, but I mean, really mentally able to give me all the answers I started going through that house, Amy. I remember going to her saying, where's your driver's license? I don't know, honey. You know I haven't been driving for a long time. Okay. So then I came back, where's your passport? Sweetheart, you've sent me on all those trips. You know I haven't traveled for a long time. I don't know. So then I went and I said, where's your social security card? Finally, I I said, where's your Medicare card? And I turned to this gal who had walked in that I had there going in, taking them to their doctor's appointments and doing their grocery shopping and getting their meds, who I thought was like really in charge. And I looked at her and I said, I can't find any of her, the information I need. What do you do when you go to the drugstore to buy your medications? What do you give them? And she said, your credit card. Oh my gosh. She She wasn't even using Medicare. She did not have, she didn't have any prescription coverage. I was paying full price But I never thought to ask the question. I guess I just assumed, like you always assume your parents know everything. And you forget that sometimes when they get older, you, in essence, become the parent. I had to reconstruct. I don't mean to be melodramatic, but I I knew she got married in Las Vegas. So I rode away. I made calls. I managed to get her marriage certificate. I managed to go find from Fargo, North Dakota, a birth certificate. And with those, I then went and stood in the line with her with me at the social security office for like an hour to get her a social security card. I had to like put everything back together so that I could assume the care of her. So this is why I talk about this all the time, Amy, because I want other people who are listening to know it's not enough. You you need that piece of paper that says every medication your parent's taking, who prescribed it, who were their doctors. I mean, all this information. And you also need a lot more than a will. I mean, a will takes care of after they're gone. But before they're gone, and these days, with people living into their 80s and 90s and beyond, 
they could be alive decades longer than they plan. You need a power of attorney for their health and their business so you can manage their bills and their bank account and so you can make decisions. You need an advanced healthcare directive. Do your parents have any long-term healthcare insurance? Like you need to know because you're gonna need to know how much is going to be paid. Like you've got to at some point, even though it's a discussion that a lot of parents and a lot of adult kids are reluctant to have, you need to ask these questions. And I always recommend, you know, if there's two, three, four siblings, you guys get together first, not with your parents. Get together first. Discuss this. See if you're all on the same page. Maybe somebody is a business person or an accountant or just really good with numbers, and they can contribute that. Maybe you're a stay-at-home mom, and you maybe you're not good with that, but you are maybe a teenager who wants to pick up a little extra cash. Maybe you can be the ones that always go and do grocery shopping. Everybody can find there's always going to be one person, I hate to say it, there's always going to be one sibling that's going to bear the brunt of most of it. It just seems to work out that way. But if you have that meeting, then you can start planning. Then bring your parents into it and don't say, God, we got to know everything about what do you want to do because we're going to be the ones that have to take care of you. Say, you know what? I was just thinking the other day, how do you envision the last decades of your life. How do you want to live? I want to know that. I want to be part of that so that I can be here to make sure that your life is like that, how you want to live. So like, share it with me. You might even say, I saw a story about how husbands and wives should have all the information about each other. Because by the way, you shouldn't just have all this information on your parents and grandparents. You should have it on your spouse. And after I started going out and talking about this, my husband looked at me one day and said, do we have all this stuff done? <laughs> like, do we have like that packet with the healthcare directive and, and all of that? And we really didn't. And so we got it all together. You have to have a HIPAA release. There's a law that says nobody else can ask your doctors anything about you. And the doctors can't even ask anyone else unless you have that HIPAA release and only one person can be named on it. So hopefully the most responsible adult child will take that upon themselves and not the most hysterical one, because that's the person that will be allowed to speak with the hospital and speak with the doctors and that they will then have the ability to call you if something goes wrong. You know, once you get all this done and there are elder attorneys who will help you put all this together, and you can also, in most states, go online, you can Google it and get all of these, but you have to have them. It's really important. I know, you're so right. And because we did that book together and I basically had a checklist yeah. for what to do, we did all of it. And I kept copies of all of those documents in the glove yes. compartment of my car oh, so that if I had so to go great. to the hospital, I just grabbed the envelope. I had everything that I needed there. And of course, that happened because my mother ended up being rushed to the hospital because yeah. of complications from type 2 diabetes. And then she died, actually. She died, and then we had to take care of my father for the next six years until he passed away recently at 93. So if you're listening to this and you haven't done this for your parents, get a copy of Chicken Soup for the Soul 30th Anniversary Edition, which has Joan's whole list of things that you'll need in it. 
or get a copy of Chicken Soup for the Soul Family Caregivers because it's all in there too, plus a lot of great stories that will really help you figure out how to take care of somebody and how you take care of somebody with dementia and enter their world. So Joan, this is such great information. We're going to take a quick break for an ad, and then we're going to come back to talk to you about what else is going on in the Joan London universe. (laughs) Okay. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. We're back with Joan London. Joan, what else is going on in your universe. I know you've been making speeches recently, and I know one of the topics you're addressing is the state of media today. Yes. Interestingly, Amy, I used to really have a fear of public speaking, and people would say, come on, how can that be? Millions of people see you every day. How can you get nervous in front of a few hundred? And I said, because I never see any of those millions of people. So when I left GMA, I I went out on tour with Tony Robbins and we were in front of, you know, 26,000 people in a venue, and I definitely got over it. And today, speaking is a huge part of my career. I am all over the country at breast cancer events and senior living events, you know, some of those spaces that I live in, a lot of health events. But recently, I've also been giving speeches on the media. And how did we get here where such a huge amount of our population doesn't trust the media. And, you know, there are a lot of changes that have happened. When I got into the business in the 1970s, first of all, we got with a film crew and you go back and while the film's being developed, you have time to think about what you just saw and put a piece together. You know, and a few years into it, all of a sudden we had video and then we had instantaneous where I remember the first day I ever went out on the new video truck, the satellite truck. And we pulled up in front of a huge story and I was getting out of the truck and all of a sudden I heard in my earpiece, the director saying, can you hear me, Joan? I was like, yes, yeah. Okay, we're coming to you in 20 seconds. I thought, I haven't even spoken to anyone here. And in that instant, I realized, oh my God, look what's happening to my industry. It's now gonna be this crunch to be the first on the air with the story. And I mean, the good part of it is that now nothing can happen pretty much anywhere in the world without someone being there with a, they don't even need a camera, they just need their phone. So there are no secrets to people being crucified in the world in any kind of way because everything is up for grabs. But at the same time, I think people are overwhelmed. And I think that, you know, when, we started getting opinion television. And that wasn't the case when I was doing Good Morning America. When I would do a debate or an interview at the end of that debate, you shouldn't have a clue as to what side of that debate I was on. We never gave a political opinion, a religious opinion. That's not what we were there to do. We were there to elicit the opinions of our guests. And, you know, I think it was really kind of the advent of Fox that came along with a, an unapologetic 
political viewpoint. And I think that that sometimes compelled other channels to feel like they had to come up with the other viewpoint. And while they are still sometimes considered, like a CNN, they're considered mainstream, but you have this, you constantly hear opinions from the broadcasters. And I think many times it's because they feel compelled to make sure that somebody's telling the other viewpoint. But what we've ended up with is opinion TV. And I hear from people on my Facebook page and on a daily basis, Amy, saying, I just wish we could go back to television as it was when you were an anchor. Totally agree. Yeah. And on that note, I want to thank you for joining us today. I'm Amy Newmark. Thanks for listening to Joan London and me today. Please join me next time for a couple of stories about when a friend turns into more from our very fun summer beach read, Chicken Soup for the Soul, All You Need is Love. <laughs>